0: Alright, thank you all for coming. This is the, uh, the final edition of uh, this tour through El Paso. It's always sweet to be in El Paso. It's always sweet to see all of you. Uh, we've been talking about the perfection of yoga. What does it mean to perfect yoga? How can you tell when you perfect yoga? Is there a perfection in yoga? Why do I ask so many questions? So let's check it out. We're gonna see what Krishna has to say. And if anybody has any comments or questions, feel free at any time to just butt right in, okay? This isn't anything formal. So ask questions anytime you have a question. You usually have good questions. we turn off any fans to be better? What? turn off a fan or anything. Huh? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it. Whatever you think it is, they are kind of loud, aren't they? The audience can decide. I think they probably, you'd probably rather be comfortable than listen to me, would you? Okay, we're going to talk on the 14th verse of the Bhagavad Gita. Oh. This is the title in in, uh, the uh, chapter entitled Knowledge of the Absolute. So we're going to hear something about Krishna. He gives us a a lot of statements that we should pay great attention to and this is one of them. I'll first I'll chant the Sanskrit and then I'll read the English. mam eva ye te, maya Translation, this divine energy of mine consisting of the three modes of material nature is difficult to overcome. But those who have surrendered unto me can easily cross beyond it. So, uh, what is Krishna talking about here? He's talking about this guna mayi. Gunamayi means the modes of material nature, the three modes of material nature, Uh, goodness, passion and ignorance. Guna is also a Sanskrit word which, which means rope, you see. Rope is something that can tie you, it can bind you, you see. Now if you take three strands of rope and you weave them together, the rope gets even stronger. See, so the three modes of material energy, the three modes of material nature, goodness, passion, and ignorance, as they work together, they're very strong to bind you to this material world. <coughs> so some people wonder, well, what do you mean by these? I'll read a little further in a minute. What do you mean by these modes? These modes are, for instance, let's say goodness. Goodness is something that people sometimes feel that I should perform, I should, I should do something good, you see. Uh, goodness, though, binds you just like anything else. Because if I do something good, then I have to accept good karma. Now some people say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, because if I have any karma, good or bad, I have to take birth to accept it. So we're trying to get out of these things that bind us to this material world. You see. Now, we're, I'll explain the mode of goodness in a moment. But let's talk about the mode of passion. The mode of passion is also a mode that binds us, holds us in this material world, it ties us. Passion. Uh, passion is extreme desire. The greatest representation of passion in the material world is sex life, the desire for sex life. But it's not limited to that. I have an intense desire. I want. I have an intense desire to, to uh, get a, a very uh, good education with very high marks, because I have a, an intense desire to get a very good uh, job, a very good occupation. Uh, and I have an intense desire for that because I want to enjoy the fruits of this job, you see. I want money. Because from money, I can get lots of nice things, like a great house, nice cars, expensive toys to play with. The very latest in uh, technology, my phone will be the neatest on the block and I'll have a computer that can walk and talk, like that, you see. I can also get prestige from that, you see. Uh, Ignorance, ignorance is something that sometimes the mode of passion will drive us to. Now, how is that? We can see every day people are struggling so hard to enjoy, and sometimes they feel like their bodies are just breaking down. You know, so uh, to deal with that, we have these places that have these hours. They're called happy hours. You ever see that as you go down the street? You know, these places, happy hour, seven or you know, five to seven or whatever. This one over here has got a happy hour. It's a little different, so I can go over here for an hour and be happy. Then I go over here and be happy. What is the nature of this happiness, though? You know, is it truly, are we becoming happy? If you ever see people that are in a happy hour, they don't always seem to be very happy because sometimes people, uh, their passions run a little crazy. Sometimes people want to fight. Well, in a bar, people fight. You know, isn't it? You know. Uh, intoxication is the mode of ignorance. It leads to delusion. Enough of it will destroy your body. You see? Some people think that intoxication is in the mode of passion. Intoxication is in the mode of ignorance, the mode of darkness. So anything that we perform, any act that we perform, is in one of these modes or a combination. It may be passionate goodness, I want to do something good. Uh, You know, uh, I was talking with this this young man here, and I've decided to build a hospital because I'm good. Of course, it's going to have my name on it. And that way, everyone will know that I built the hospital, and that it's going to help the profits in my bottom line in my business because people will get, I'll get some recognition from it. So there's some passion, (coughs) passion in my goodness, you see, and sometimes there's passion in my ignorance, ignorance in my passion, ignorance in my goodness, you know, it all blends together. And if you meditate on that, you can see how we're we're driven by these things. So um, there is a mode of goodness which is above and beyond the three modes of material nature, and that's called pure goodness, you see. Now, what's different about pure goodness? Why is it pure? Why do we have goodness and pure goodness? Pure goodness is something that I do out of an act of love to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. In other words, I'm not expecting anything in return, you see. I'm not looking for anything. I do it because I love God. So I may build a hospital, but I do it for the right purpose, you see. It's the intention behind the activity that really counts. Some, two people may perform the same activity. Their intentions may be different, so therefore uh, the modes are different, you see. And a good way to to express that, let's say that you're in a room and you've got a room over on this side of you and a room over on this side. In this room over here, there's a guy with a very sharp knife and he intends to cut you. In this room over here, there's another guy with a very sharp knife, and he intends to cut you. So he, both of these rooms, you got a guy with a very sharp knife that intends to cut me. One of them is a thief, one of them is a surgeon. The cutting is the same, the intention is different, you see. The thief wants to harm and take, take from me, the surgeon wants to help me in some way. you see so, uh, an action is determined, the value of an action is determined by the intention. Why did I do it? (coughs) If it's motivated by the material, uh, some sort of material desire, and the things that motivate us in this material world are basically four things. Who knows what those are? Do you know, Aaron? Huh? No, those are the activities. But what are the desires that motivate us to do something? To get up off the couch, and why should I get up off the couch, put on the remote control, and go out into the world? What would motivate me to do that? I want four things. Wealth, profit, fame, adoration, distinction, we're motivated to do activities by the, the want for fame, profit, adoration, or distinction. You see? I do something because I've got a, a, a desire. Uh, I just I want people to adore me. You see? So I'm going to do something to, to, to do that, you know, to get that. Typically, it starts out in this material world, most people want some profit, they want money. Because if I get money, along with that I'm going to get a certain amount of fame. The more money I get the more fame I, I can have. <clears throat> you see, Everybody in the world knows Bill Gates. You know, he hasn't really done that much when you really think about other great people but he is the richest guy or one of the richest so he's got fame. So wealth will give me fame. Fame, profit. From that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to adore me because they're going to want some, some of my money, you see. They'll be getting some of my money, so they'll adore me. So I'll get my, my fame, my profit, my adoration. And I'll be distinguished because I'll do something that'll set me aside from all the others, you see. And that way I can, I can hold my head up and I can look down my nose at those of you who just can't accomplish what I can accomplish because I'm special, see? I can prove it, just see my bank account. Ask anybody in the world if they know me. So many people are fond of me, see? I am so distinguished. So, it's the same situation that most of us are involved in in varying degrees. You see, some people, uh, that's their entire life. Every breath they take is For this fame, fame, profit, adoration, and distinction, you see, to varying degrees, some people more, some people less, you see. The intelligent person starts to wonder, isn't there something more? Isn't there something better? You see, how much do I have to have? How much fame do I have to have to be completely satisfied? How much profit do I have to have to be completely satisfied? You see, not a good example. We're using. Uh, we can we can address this money thing right away. Uh, our friend Bill Gates. He's a very nice guy, I'm sure. But he's one of, if not the richest. It goes back and forth between him and a couple of others. But you know, like kind of a tag team for first place. One month one's ahead, then the other month another one's ahead, and they go like that. So depending on the price of Microsoft's uh, stock, I guess whatever. <laughs> But let's take him, because we're all familiar with him, Bill Gates, richest guy in the world, all right? Do you think he's the happiest guy in the world? Has he been satisfied? He's got all the wealth. He's got more than you could probably hope for. No matter what good a grade you got in college, he's got more fame than you could probably hope for. He's very distinguished. He's done things that others haven't done, as far as computers and things like that. And many people adore him. Of course, because, uh, you know, he's got many hundreds of, uh, or many thousands, tens of thousands of employees. Some of them, I'm sure, adore him. let see. Uh, and, and many other things. He's done very nice things. He's set up trust funds for certain charities. He's done very much nice work. But can we say that he's the happiest guy in the world you see if all this that he has which is fantastic he's got tremendous amounts of fame profit adoration and distinction if it's so good why hasn't he just disappeared you would think that he's gone as far he's gone farther than anybody else in history you see now why hasn't he said okay I've got enough I'm I am so ecstatic that I I'm just gonna buy an island And you're not going to see me anymore, you see? Because I've got all this fame, I've got all the profit, adoration, distinction, and now I'm completely happy. I feel complete. I'm going to go to my island, and I don't plan on coming back, you know, because I'm in ecstasy, I feel wonderful. I don't need anything else, you see? Do you think he feels that way? We don't know for sure, but it's doubtful. It's very doubtful. It's not likely. You see. So, we can see that these material desires will never be satisfied. The nature of material desires is they cannot be satisfied. They're insatiable. You see. We can try and try and try. We can get in the mode of passion, thinking that it's going to deliver me some ecstasy. It never does. <coughs> now, we do get some temporary hints. It seems like for a while, You know, we go through uh, phases where we might have some landfall of of profit and we feel really great for a while and that's only followed by okay now what? Now I have to do more. Any questions or comments so far? Kind of a deep subject. You can see how the modes of material energy, uh, the the modes of material nature, how they bind you. You see, I'm chasing I'm chasing something that is not going to satisfy me. I want wealth, or fame. We can analyze famous, wealthy people. Um, one that I, 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 comes to mind, um, and I'm sure all of you, he hasn't been gone that long, I'm sure all of you remember him, is Elvis Presley, you know? Elvis Presley, <coughs> he was a very beautiful, very attractive person. So he had wealth. He had tremendous wealth. Fame. Everybody in the world knows Elvis Presley. He knew Elvis Presley. Um, people were very attracted to him. He had fame, profit. People adored Elvis Presley. You know, if he walked down the street, some people would uh, I remember, you know, they were showing films one time of uh, people at his uh, concerts and they were fainting, they were fainting at the sight of him, you know, oh, Elvis, oh, oh, you know? <laughs> you know, so he had fame, he had profit, he had adoration, he had distinction, he was distinguished because he was Elvis, he started a whole trend and he did it, you see, who had more? Bill Gates maybe had more money, but who had more fame, adoration, and distinction than Elvis? And what kind of life did he have, if we know much about it? You know much about it? You know, he ended up in, in the mode of ignorance, intoxicated to the point that he could hardly function. His body started to work, got, got the work to hardly function. He couldn't even eat and pass it through his system properly. Because of, the, in, because of the influx of uh, drugs, you see. He's bloated, unhealthy. He couldn't even evacuate properly. He died trying to evacuate. He couldn't pass through properly, you see. So somebody that had such opulences, fame, profit, adoration, distinction, and he dies in such a horrible way. He dies in the boat of ignorance doesn't seem like he was a very happy person you know, people that were close to him say he was not a very happy person well, I'm sure he had his moments but overall would you really like to have would you like to live that life exactly the way he lived it would you want it you know I mean a lot of glory to go with it but boy what a way to go down why now we may think yeah yeah but you know, If I had that chance, I'd make it work, you know. Give me that wealth, fame, adoration and distinction. Well, I'll show you a guy that's really happy, you see. We might have thought, we may think like that. But I'm sure Elvis thought like that at one time too. The cold hard fact is that it is not, material energy is not going to satisfy us. It never has and it never will. Except for those moments when we might get something new. You ever notice like, uh, we noticed some technology, somebody, I remember, uh, uh, through the years, I remember uh, in the beginning, the only people who had mobile phones, and they used to be called mobile phones because, actually in the beginning, they were called car phones. Because they were only in cars. You remember that? I never saw any, nobody walked around if you had a, a phone that was not a landline, it was in your car. And the only people that had car phones were in business. And they used them for their business. It was very expensive. You know, they cost like $2,500 way back in the 80s and they were just 35 cents a minute to talk on them or something like that. You know? So it was very expensive. And uh, you know, people that got them were, were very, they thought, now I'm very dis- distinguished you know, because I'm one of the very, very, very few that has a phone in my car. I have a phone in my car and you can tell by this little antenna, you can see the antenna going out of the back window, it shows that I have a car phone. <clears throat> and it got to be such a, such a, uh, uh, a symptom of prestige that uh, some places started selling fake antennas <laughs> That you could put on your back window and look like you had a car phone. <laughs> and then it started to spread. Now just about everybody when they first got their car phone, they thought, Well, wow, this is great. You know, this is I made it. I made it, you know. wow. Well, let me see, who am I gonna call? And I, hey mom, it's me, guess where I'm calling you from? <laughs> no, I'm in my car. Yeah, I have a car phone. You see. And then as time went by, uh, one day I saw this guy walking down the street and he had this big white brick up to his head. And I thought, what's that, you know? And I wow, that guy's walking around the street with a telephone. You know, they call those mobile phones. It's big, you know, Motorola made a big, heavy thing, you know. <laughs> walking around, and I'm sure the first people who got those thought, wow, look how distinguished I am. You know? <clears throat> Look at my phone, you know, it's as big as, like this. Hey, Mom, guess where I'm calling you from? No, I'm not in my car. No, I'm walking down the street, yeah. I have a mobile phone, you see. So everybody went through that thrill. I got a mobile phone, guess why. And then the mobile phones got smaller, you know, they got to where they were a little tiny, you know, and that became a status thing. I get my first small little phone, and mine is so much smaller than yours, and you go, Whoa, where did you get that? You know, so I would keep on feeding this. You know, then we get phones that'll hook up with the internet. We have phones that'll do this. I can do you know, face a Facebook page. And I can do this. I can do that. You see, all kinds of icons, and it's a whole different thing, and it just keeps on going. And every time we take that step into the latest technology, we get that little thrill that now I've got a, a piece of this action. But it always fades. One devotee in Dallas told me that uh, uh, when, you get, when he gets a new phone, he's young. You know, Giovanni, young guy, He you gets something new, like a new phone, he's bored with it after two weeks. You know it takes me two weeks to figure out how to turn it on and off properly you know. You know, how to use it you know i have a phone that'll maybe do lots of things that i don't need done but uh, you know, i don't know i don't need those i don't have a need for those but uh, in a couple of weeks then the newness has worn off you see it starts out as a real prize then it turns out to be not as good as yours because you thought look what yours can do you know and then then a few weeks later, I'm saying, well, I don't want yours, I like his. Do you see what he's got? It just keeps on going. So we can see how to chase this material energy is like a dog chasing his tail. See? So then we may think, all right, well, I want a little something extra. You know, I, I was talking uh, with Anthony, and he just came back from a, a trip through California, many different places. <coughs> We're talking about some people think well, I want something different, you know. I want some spiritual life. I think if I have spiritual life, that that will make me uh, a little happier. It'll bring something into my life that's that's missing. So let me see. Uh, first of all, I'm going to define this word spiritual. You see, because I don't know how spiritual I want to be, but. Uh, you know, I'm going to define it myself. I'm going to come up with my self-definition of spiritual. Because, you know, I don't want to be one of those yogis or somebody. guys I don't want to be one of these Hare Krishnas walking around with a shaved head and wearing orange bed sheets or anything. I don't want to go that far. But, you know, I want to, I want to do some, something spiritual. I want to do something where I can maintain all of the modes that I already have. I'll, I, I want to maintain everything that I have that I've been trying to squeeze enjoyment out of. And I want to try to dovetail my, my material life into a whole new thing and I'm going to label that spiritual. You see? And that's okay. That's okay. We can do that. We can do that. You see, The real fortunate ones as they go along It's kind of like the new cell phone thing. When you get a new phone, you think, well, after a while, what's this? What's it worth now? There's something better, you see. So, we keep tracing and and, and chasing the perfection of yoga until we know we've got it. The ultimate. What is the ultimate thing that we can get that we never ever think, oh, I've had enough of this, it's time to trade this one in. You know? What's the ultimate? There has to be an ultimate. We live in a finite world. There has to be an ultimate. That which once you get, you've got it all. Nothing else can uh, come anywhere close. Not only that, that thing that you have that gives you great pleasure keeps on increasing in its pleasure. So that nothing else could ever possibly come near and it will never fade. It has you mesmerized. That very moment that you feel when you first get your car phone or your new cell phone, that thrill that you have, just keeps growing, you see. That is the perfection of yoga. Yoga means to unite. Unite and merge are not the same words. Some people think of merging. Which brings up another interesting point that we were talking about. There are many people have some misconceptions about the goal of yoga. There are some people who say, well, the ultimate goal is to merge with the oneness of the cosmos, the universal energy of everything. Ever heard that? And I, when I hear that from people, I look at them and sometimes I just say, pardon my French, but what the hell is that? What is that? What does it mean? You know? What if you could? What if you could? What if you do? You merge with the, you merge with the oneness. The, there is a word for it. Most people don't know. The people who are chasing it don't know the words. They don't. discuss in the Vedas. It's called the impersonal Brahman or the Sanskrit word is the Brahma Jyoti. The Brahma Jyoti, is the dazzling effulgence, it's dazzling effulgence. It's that uh, impersonal uh, merging that we uh, that we see. You see, it's just like if you see a group of fireflies. There's a whole group of fireflies, and one new firefly. You know these lightning bugs flies into this group. It looks like it merged with it, but it's really just a whole big ball of bugs they glow. It's also, Srila Prabhupada said, if you, uh, if you see a green tree, and many times I've seen this happen in India especially, if you see a green tree, and there's this green parrot, and he's flying, and he flies into the green tree, it's as if he merged with the tree. You can't see him anymore. He's green, the tree's green. It's like he just went right in there with the tree. And now the bird is the tree, and the tree is the bird. Until he moves, and when he moves, you can say, "Oh no, no! There he is. He's on that branch there." Oh, she wins. For a moment, though, I thought he—I thought he merged with the tree, became a tree. Let's see, you can emerge—or excuse me—you can merge in such a way that you don't lose your independent uh, personality. If you merge in the Jyoti, you're there. It's very bright. Lots of light? Lots of nirvana. What does nirvana mean? You know? Anybody know what the the, the, the true definition of nirvana? Huh? Huh? No. No. In the Sanskrit language, nirvana means it means nothing. It means, I'm away from everything. I'm all by myself, without you and you and all, the, everything has given me stress. Oh, I have achieved nirvana. It's voidish. Void. There's no such thing as void. Because for there to be void, you have to be able to get completely away from the energy of Krishna. The energy of Krishna is everything. There is no void. How could there be a void? This is kind of deep thought, but if you ponder on that, how is that possible? I'm someplace I've just defeated God. I've gone someplace where he isn't. So what's <clears throat> space like? What is space like? Space? Like outer space? space is actually uh, it's one of the material elements. It's not necessarily a vacuum like the scientists lead us out to believe. They don't fully understand space. The easiest way to understand space, it is part of Krishna's energy. Earth, water, fire, air, and ether. Ether is outer space. Space. These are the five material elements. And we're made up of all these five material elements. So basically, and it seems a little too simple of an explanation, but space means, some place to put something there's space you can put something here if I want to uh, if I want to set this bottle down I have to move the atoms aside and the air aside for this to occupy a space if you're going to build a building you have to move things around you have to have space to put it and there's still things there that have to get out of the way small atoms and you see well, in space it's space however it is one of the material elements and our bodies are made up of it It is Krishna, it's part of His energy. That's the closest thing to a void that we could get. Right outside the the Earth's atmosphere. Does that make any sense? That's kind of, it's it's a little difficult to explain, but it's basically just space. A place where there isn't anything. But it's not a void. It's part of the material energy, and the, the material energy is part of Krishna's inferior energy. He is the superior energy, the material elements are the inferior energy, and we are the marginal energy. And the only reason we're marginal is because we can become affected by coming in contact with the modes of material nature. Other than that, we're exactly the same as Krishna. Now the confusion comes uh, from some transcendentalists in India. When they read in the Vedas, where it states that we are of the same uh, chemical composition, so to speak, as Krishna. In other words, it's like if you were to take a drop of salt water and analyze it under a microscope. It's the same chemical composition as the ocean. You see? It's the same. The drop and the ocean are the same. So, we the living entity and Krishna are the same material. But what they don't understand is that the spiritual world has different laws than the material world. In the material world, you are either this or you're that. Everybody knows you can't be both. In the spiritual world, Krishna has this achitya beta beta tatva potency. the spiritual world, things are simultaneously one and different, you see. The material world is very temporary, it's very... Uh, upside down, it's very backward, and we think that the laws here are accurate laws. True laws are are, uh, in the spiritual world. In the spiritual world, things are simultaneously one and different. So simultaneously, I am Krishna. And I'm not Krishna. I am an independent personality. I'm made up of the same thing. That's Christian. Uh-huh. So I just I mean you were talking about how we're affected by the material clothes of nature. Yeah. And that <laughs> kind of creates our composition. Uh it kind of defines us sometimes. And just like our senses, like we're limited to our senses and yet everything that we can interpret is from our senses, but we're limited to them. So it's like and then our body, you are your body, but you're not your body, you're your soul. So it's kinda yeah. like It doesn't leave us with much room for growth, you know. It's like we're limited, and all these things are so hard to that is so right. We are so limited, and because of our independent nature that we've developed by coming to this material world, (coughs) we've developed a false ego. I am so important. I am so special. You see, I can figure out so many things. I can, I perceive through what, what I can see, what I can hear, what I can taste, what I can smell, what I can feel. That's our perception. We're limited by our senses. See? Now, some people say, well, what about my mind? Okay, the material energy, the material, oh, there are five gross elements of the material energy, earth, water fire, air, and ether. In the order of The grossness of them, meaning being able to be perceived by the senses, you see. Each one of those can be perceived less by the senses. And then there's the three subtle elements, mind, intelligence, and false ego. Earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego. You see, those are also material elements. And False ego is when I think, when I think that I am really so special. False ego basically is when I say, "I am," and don't end that sentence with a, a humble servant of Krishna. If you say you're anything else, it's false ego because you're wrong. You are part and parcel of the Supreme Lord. That's what we are. We are part and parcel. of we're nothing else. No. Instead of uh, being some people, some philosophies say, well, I'm, I am part of God, you're part of God, so I am God, you're God. I am God, you are God, we are all God. See? Well, we're part and parcel of Him. And you can get into conversations with those folks and, you know, you can't embarrass them. It's not a lot of fun to embarrass them, but you can very easily because if you Start using rational, rational thought. The so soul has a different personality compared to because uh, exactly be carrying intelligence and false ego from several books. Exactly. And that may be defining the personality. And that is not my true personality which is the nature of the soul. Exactly. The mind, intelligence and false ego travel with the soul birth after birth and you're always developing it. Now the intelligence doesn't necessarily mean how smart I am. Intelligence means the data. You know, it's just like... uh, uh, Intelligence basically interpreted means uh, data. Data, just that. Some data is good, some is useless, some is... You know, it's just like intelligence, sometimes uh, the army, they'll talk about, you know, do we have any intel, intelligence on uh, that guy over there? What do we know about? What data do we have on An accumulation of data, that's intelligence. Some people think, well, no, that means I'm real smart. You have free will on how you use data. But an accumulation of data isn't really that great. What's the use of it? Unless it'll get you out of birth, death, disease, and old age, what's the use of it? It's useless. If it'll not uh, protect me from the influence of the modes of material nature, what's the use of it? I could use this this, this, uh, accumulation of data to make money, to become famous be adored, to be distinguished. We've already covered that. What, what's that gonna do for you? <clears throat> you know, that's kind of like the theory that everything that goes up must come down. When you go up, materially, you have your, it has its, its crash, you see. So mind, intelligence, and false ego, they travel with us birth after birth. You see. It's just like we all have a different personality. At the, end of, at the end of this human life, if you take another life, you're gonna have pretty much the same personality. It goes with you. You ever notice how dogs and cats, you ever notice the dogs, they're all, they have personality. You know, you can, you can have five or six dogs, all from the same litter, all the same color, and they're all different. See, cats are the same way. Some people think a cat's a cat or whatever. Well, you get to know some cat, you know, and you think, hey, wow, you've got a unique personality. It's just like, some people think, well, how is that possible? Although, we can admit that every snowflake is entirely different. How many gazillions of snowflakes have fallen on this planet? And each one is entirely different. They're not exactly, none of them are exactly the same. See? So, none of us as living entities, as the spirit soul, the jiva-atma. None of us is exactly the same. And we are unlimited. We're unlimited. So why do we have, why does Krishna have all these unlimited souls, each one completely different from the other? Although there may be some similarities, but still entirely different. Why does God have this? He could be alone if he wanted to. He could only have five or six close friends. He could do anything. Why is it unlimited? He's unlimited. Because he's unlimited. Exactly. He's unlimited. His energy is unlimited. We are part of his energy. You see, this material world is unlimited. It's part of his energy. It's a spark of his splendor. Some people, there were just uh, there was a thing on Yahoo the other night about uh, something that the Hubble telescope has seen. They looked at a, an area <clears throat> where there's no light and focused it for like ten days, and then they, they saw like over 150,000 galaxies. You know, that, you know, so, so gigantic. They're bigger than our galaxy, And this is looking at a spot that's dark. And they just thought, I wonder what's there. We're not looking at anything. It looks like there's just nothing. And after they focused it for a long time, they saw unlimited. So how many dark little spots are there? You know, it's unlimited. It's a spark of his splendor. It To him, it's a piece of cake, you see. Now, can we imagine what this creator of this fantastic cosmic manifestation is? What is he like? Why is it like, I mean, I know a lot of people feel like God doesn't really show himself. Why don't we get to experience more? you got to want it. You've got to want it. We have looked in his face. We have been with him. We've hugged his neck. We've played with him. We've played jokes on him. He's played jokes on us. We've heard him play his flute. We've had all that. But we decided that we no longer wanted to see him. And it wasn't anything nasty. We just decided, you know, my dear Krishna, I wonder, what is there aside from you? You're very wonderful, and I love you dearly, but I wonder, I just, I just wonder, what is there beside you? Now Krishna could say, oh you fool, there's nothing beside me. I'm everything. I'm the source of all sources. You see. He could say, shut up and go to your room. Don't you ever ask me that question. You see, he could do all that. But his reaction is, are you interested in that? And we say, well, yeah, I'd like to find out. And the Christian says, I can arrange that. You can go to an unlimited world, an unlimited cosmos, no bounds, And you can search there in this unlimited place for something better than me. And I make it available to you. And you don't have to go as some lowly creature. You you come in as a very exalted creature. Come into the mature world and give it a spin. Kick the tires, take it for a test drive. See how it works. And when we're ready, when we're ready, we decide, all right, I've had enough of this. You know, Krishna, I want to see you again. I've had enough of this oh, that's very good. But he gives us free will because without free will, we are nothing short of prisoners. See? And he's not a jealous, mean, bad guy like they describe him in some scriptures. They say he's mean, nasty. If you ask him a question like that in the Old Testament, he'd turn you into a pillar of salt. How you know, dare you say it? You know, it's not like that. I say it many, many times, and it's hard for us sometimes to understand, so it bears repeating. One thing about Krishna is he knows he's Krishna. He knows what Krishna is. He knows he's the greatest. He knows that he's the most beautiful. He knows he's the most attractive, you see, to the point where he's a little cocky about it. I mean, he can be. He's Krishna. He's the most beautiful. He's the most famous. He's the most wonderful, the most attractive, you see. So, and he knows that. And he knows that you're going to figure that out. It's not like some punishment. He knows, it's just like in Vrindavan. We're going to go to Vrindavan this fall, Vrindavan, India. In Vrindavan, India, Vrindavan is the place where Krishna descended to uh, the earthly planet. And there's this uh, one set of deities. We have this beautiful temple in Vrindavan, Krishna Balaram. Have you been to Krishna Balaram? You know, you know the deity of Krishna, Krishna and Balaram, and Krishna's standing there. Usually, Krishna's standing playing his flute. That's the way the deity of Krishna. But this particular deity, Krishna's standing there, and he's got his his, his arm kind of like this on his hip, and he's holding his flute like this, and he's got a look on his face like. I'm a Krishna. You know, this confident, cocky, you know, I mean, it looks like he needs a spanking. Probably has done something naughty. Hi, I'm Krishna. You know? Not in a nasty way, but like, you know, so if somebody says, you know, I'm the most beautiful, you can think, well, you know, you wish, you know, But when the most beautiful says, I'm the most beautiful, you know, you say, yes, you are. So you look at this deity of Krishna, and he's saying, I'm Krishna. You say, you sure are. Well, there's no doubt about that, you know, you see. So, Krishna has confidence in himself. He knows who he is, and he knows you. He knows all of us. He knows you're going to go looking under stones in the material world. You're going to go try to squeeze everything you can out of the material energy. And you're going to wind up right back here. Because I give you free will to go. Now I don't know. Krishna says, I don't know when you're going to come back. Cuz I'm giving you free will. You make all your own choices. Because without free will, there is there can be no love. There can be no romance. Krishna is the supreme romantic. He's the supreme lover. So therefore, you have to choose him. You have to seek him out. That's what he likes. He likes you to hunt for him, search for him. We've been spending millions and billions of births searching in this material world for so much enjoyment. You see? He's not angry. He's not upset. Now, to Krishna, this whole thing practically isn't even happening. See. let's say that you leave the Supreme Lord, you leave Krishna and you decide you're going to go to the material world and you take a hundred billion births and you're here for a million, trillion, gazillion years, sounds like a really long time, you know I mean just getting through the summer sometimes seems like it takes forever when I was a kid it seemed like it was going to take forever for Christmas to come on, you see, but a hundred Billion years, whatever, in the in the um, in the scope of eternity, that's not even a nanosecond. It's, it's so quick you can't even measure it. We're talking eternity. You see, so to Krishna, it's like zip. I mean, it's not even that, and you're back. And Krishna's like, How was your trip? You know, it's like you say, "Okay, I'm leaving." He says, "Okay, hey, how was your trip?" You left. You did all this rambling through the material world. You go back. Hardly a nanosecond. So nothing. There's no such thing as time in the in the spiritual world. There's no, there's no time. So this to us seems like a really big deal. Here I'm taking this birth after that birth, and I'm trying to get through school, and I'm trying. To travel here and travel travel there. Oh boy it takes forever. <clears throat> you know. When will I get old enough to retire? How long will it take for this? You know, seems like we're we're befuddled by this time element. The Sanskrit word for time is uh, kala. Does anybody know what kala is? Time is Krishna. Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, time I am, I'm the, I'm the destroyer of worlds, Krishna comes to this material world in the form of color, time, as time's passing, you're experiencing Krishna, Krishna is here in the form of time, if he didn't come in time, the material world would never age, he would be eternal, nothing would wind down, you see, so Krishna comes as this eternal time, that is time, time I am, destroyer of worlds. Arjuna was wondering, who are you? Krishna was telling me. I'm, I'm the one that makes things get old. Because everything that emanates from the Supreme, because the Supreme is perfect, everything that emanates from the Supreme is also perfect. So for there to have any sort of a duration, Krishna has to engineer that, in the form of time. Any more questions? Comments? You usually have a question. Thank you. Those are good, those are good questions. So, I'm gonna read the verse again. Krishna says this divine energy of mine, consisting of the three modes of material nature, is difficult to overcome. But those who have surrendered unto me can easily cross beyond it. You know? Now there's a tough word in there to deal with. I don't know about you, but I don't like it. Surrender. Surrender such negative connotations, you know? The Japanese surrendered to the Americans, Uh, Lee surrendered to Grant, you know? Huh? Read it again? Sure. Krishna says, this divine energy of mine consisting of the three modes of material nature is difficult to overcome. But those who have surrendered unto me can easily cross beyond it. See? But we don't like that. You know, I don't like it. I don't know about you guys. I don't want to surrender to anybody. I want you to surrender to me. Well, I want to be the top dog. I want to be Numero One. I already think I am. I just want everybody else to realize it. See? I'm special. That's our thinking. So why? What does this word mean, anyway? Why is it so negative? That's because of um, synonymous with uh, submission. Exactly. And I don't want to submit. I want you to submit to me. If we're in an argument, I want to win it. Even if you prove that I'm wrong, it's still going to be hard for me to admit it. I'm going to say, oh yeah, yeah, well yeah, yeah. Rarely does somebody say, you know, you have defeated me. My dear sir, you were absolutely right. I was wrong. That's kind of rare. We don't like that. Bad taste. It's kind of hard to say that. Surrender. 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 Why would I want to surrender? I don't want to surrender. I want to be the center of attention. I don't want to be the numero uno surrender. Give give over to a higher power. To give over to something that's higher. When you analyze the true meaning of surrender, if you look it up in the dictionary, it's not so bad. If that higher power is really a good power, surrender is really sweet. Lovers, surrender to one another. Surrender. I surrender to your desire. You see? There's a sweet side of surrender. When you say to Krishna, my dear Lord, I surrender unto you. I give over to you. I, I yield control to you. you see? I'm, I'm not going to fight you for control. Which is kind of silly anyway, you know, not to do that because Krishna is the supreme controller. And we are being controlled by his material energy right now. You see? So when we say, I surrender my dear Lord to you, then he says, All right. Now that you're finished with your trek through the material world, he doesn't say, How do you think you're going to get out of this mess that you got yourself into? You're in this indecisive body. You think you know this and you think you know that. Last week you thought this was the truth. Now you think you've got this truth. You know? Your, your consciousness changes like the uh, you know, like fashion, like your like your cell phone. You've always thought that you have the absolute. You always thought, you see, you're not making any progression, you're just changing your mind. You see? Krishna says, you obviously can't do this. Now that you've surrendered to me, it's obvious that you can't do this on your own. Therefore, here take my hand. Just here, take my hand. I'll do it for you. I can conquer my uh, material energy, Krishna says. It's mine. I can conquer it. You don't have to worry about it. You're not going to overcome the modes of material nature. No matter how puffed up you think you are, and that you can becoming richer or more intelligent or whatever it's not going to happen but if you surrender to me I'll do it for you I'll do it for you so Krishna says I'm glad you know, this makes me very happy that you want me now you want me that's great so here take my hand come on all you have to do is take his hand how do we do that? by offering service what can, I do to, what can I do for you, Lord? Krishna wants us to perform service to Him because He wants us to be happy and that's the only way that we can be happy, to perform service to Him. And as long as we feel <clears throat> that I don't want to perform service for Krishna, I want to perform service for this or that, or whatever reason, we have not achieved the perfection of Yoga. there is a perfection and it's okay if someone says well I want to do yoga but I don't want to perfect it that's alright you know it's your choice, it's your free will we're only here to point out that the perfection of yoga is when you you no longer see this material world as a place to stay and you surrender to the supreme Lord Krishna When you surrender to Krishna, when you've developed Krishna prema, pure love of God, you have perfected all yoga processes. And that bhakti-yoga, by performing this bhakti-yoga, you've achieved all the benefit of all other types of liberation. So you've achieved whatever you would achieve by the impersonal Brahman by being liberated into the the dazzling effulgence. What is the dazzling effulgence anyway? Those who really study the Vedas and start to become knowledgeable about uh, the universal energy, the, the things that we Americans talk about, when we talk about where the idea came from. What is it? It's a bright light, right? Really, really intelligent people will wonder where does this light come from? It comes from Krishna. It's the glow that comes from the inner part of the Vaikuntha planets. You see? If you look at the sun, you can see this, this glow coming from the sun. You can feel it. You can hold your hand up. You can feel the heat from the sun. You can say, I'm experiencing the sun right now. And that's true. But there's a source of the sunlight. There's a sun planet. You see? So this impersonal Brahman, uh, the Brahma Jyoti, the dazzling effulgence is the dazzling effulgence of Krishna. You see. It is his energy. It is real. It is there. Alright, so if there's no other questions, thank you all so much. We'll run. Maybe we should have some more kirtan. We'll have kirtan. We don't have any prasadam to hand out tonight. Unfortunately. But I promise you something very, very nice when I come back. Thank you all for coming. Hare Krishna.